Welcome to Shakespeare and Pals, episode 11, The Brothers Menachemus by Plautus. In the time between this episode and the last, I did not learn how to pronounce Menachemus. I, but I am going to stick to Menachemus. Sophie, how are you going to pronounce it? I mean, I think I'll stick to Menachemus as well. It seems like a perfectly reasonable way to do it. And I doubt we'll have any native Latin speakers correcting us. Or any Greeks. Or any Greeks. So, so I suppose I should introduce the concept of this podcast. We go through the works of William Shakespeare in chronological order. Why are we doing an ancient Roman play? Because we also do Shakespeare's pals. And this is not Shakespeare's pal, this is Shakespeare's comedic grandpappy. This is the comedy that Shakespeare was forced to read at grammar school. And what's more, Shakespeare's comedy, The Comedy of Errors, was based on the play we are going to read today. So that is our justification. Now, at the beginning of most episodes, I go around the panel and ask, what is your relationship to this play? I'm going to imagine that the next answer I get won't be that long. Sophie, your relationship to this? It, yeah, I, I don't think I have any relationship with this play. I, um, well, I did a little bit of classics at university, so I feel like I've, I've definitely read like a couple of ancient Greek, ancient Roman plays, but there might have been one or two by Plautus. I don't know. I don't remember, so it doesn't matter. I have no relationship, practically. Made an indelible effect on you. My relationship with Plautus amounts to hearing that people in the Renaissance quite liked him, and then buying a collection of his plays in a second-hand bookstore, and then never opening that book until I had to record this episode. Would you ever have read this work, or anything by Plautus, if it wasn't for the concept of this podcast? I can confidently say absolutely not. Well, 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 Plautus, we are doing you a favour. Usually we go over the biography of the playwrights we cover in this podcast. Fortunately and unfortunately, we can't really do that for Plautus. I checked on the Encyclopedia Britannica, and what they had to say was essentially, we don't know anything about his life. Uh, the most we can put together is some somewhat circumspect, dubious ideas that maybe he was... We can put together, sort of, that maybe he began working as an actor, got very successful, went into business, made some bad investments, and then had to become a playwright. Other than that, we don't know much about him. His name, even, T Titus Machius Plautus, we don't even know if that's his real name or if it was a stage name. We don't know that much about him. I can put him in time for you. He was born smack dab in the middle of the Roman Republic. 250 years after Rome became a republic, 150 years before it became an empire. So he was smack dab in the middle of a somewhat free oligarchy. So it's the period before anyone gives a shit about Rome. I would say yes. People start liking Rome about around the time when the Star Wars parallels start coming out. 
This is how democracy dies, with applause. Is that the line that uh, Padme says? This play begins with a prologue to summarize. This prologue comes out on stage to explain the basic plot of what's going on. Once upon a time, there were identical twins. One of them was called Menachmus. This Menachmus is kidnapped and taken to the island of Epidamnus, where he is made a heir to a merchant in Epidamnus. The other boy still remains and goes to live with his grandfather. Now his grandfather, like the other boy more, like Menachmus more, and so he says, young boy, I am going to name you after your twin brother. You are now called Menachmus. So now there are two Menachmus. One Menachmus living in Epidamnus, the Menachmus who was kidnapped is now living in Epidamnus. There is another Menachmus who lives in Syracuse with his grandfather, who is now called Menachmus because his grandfather said, in honor of your departed brother, I am going to call you Menachmus. Which is a perfect explanation for why these two twins have exactly the same name. It's not contrived at all. Yeah, I'm just like, oh my god, granddad. And also, uh, it's his gra it's, granddad's name is also Menachmus. So, which might explain the favoritism. This is like, oh yeah, no, I like the twin that has my name. That's it. That's all I give a shit about. And he looks the same. They probably act the same. Let's just fucking call the guy that's that's left Menachmus at seven years old as well, which is buck wild. It is one of those things where you suppose the grandfather thought, oh, that other brother's dead. Uh, this is not going to cause any complications later on by just calling this this twin Menachmus. Yeah, and like also the the dad dies of grief like a few days later. So how do they know that the child is missing? Like do they decide oh they must have been shipwrecked or something? Because the dad doesn't show up for ages. How do they know are they told by letter? Oh by the way, uh dad died because of grief because the because the other son went missing and it's like okay jesus and why was Wait. only one twin sent off anyway like there's i a suppose lot going so on that here. you don't have any confusion happening as this play shows can be happen there's a lot of in family fighting drama happening just just off stage that i am far more interested in than this play to be honest and I will say, the way you have described, uh, you, you said that, oh, the father died of grief and stuff like that, making it sound like there is a level of pathos in this scene, if you just say it like that. And, you know, this is a Shakespeare podcast. In the Shakespeare version, this is the father saying it. The, the far, in this play, the prologue is just a breaking the fourth wall, essentially the author coming out and telling you what the plot is. In Shakespeare, the prologue is the father, and the father has pathos. The father is saying, oh, no, I lost my son. My son is gone. I have one son left, and oh, I'm so sad. There's pathos there. In this one, yes, there's death, there's kidnapped, there's all this stuff. The prologue is trying to, is the most flippant thing imaginable. Uh, we are using different translations. So, Visa, you're using one from the 1990s. I'm using one from the 1980s. So maybe yours keeps in some level of... Uh, pathos but in mind the way they describe the uh, the father's death is the little boy lost in a crowd wandered away an epidamnian merchant also there that day made off with him to epidamnus there to stay 
The father, learning that he'd lost the lad, became depressed. In fact, he grew so very sad. A few days later, he was dead. It was that bad. That's oh the my... tone mine has. Oh my god! Oh my god! No! That's terrible! That's so, so abrupt. So I take it yours has more gravitas, Sophie. I wouldn't call it gravitas, but it's definitely dry. It's a lot drier. Um, let me fucking mm -hmm. find it. While you're finding it, I'll describe how it talks about how the Menachemus who was kidnapped, how he became a merchant. You know, he was kidnapped by a wealthy man, and this wealthy man died and left him all this stuff. So this is how it describes it. The Epidamnimon who snatched the little lad. He had no children. Lots of cash was all he had. So he adopted him, he snatched, became his dad, and gave his son a dowried female for his bride. And then, so he could make the boy his heir, he died. That. Holy fuck. Holy fuck. Um, no, my one is very dry. So actually, I might have preferred to have read yours just because it, it would have just made me go, oh, damn, like the whole time. But yeah, for mine. A certain merchant of Epidamnus was there. He picked up the child and carried it away to Epidamnus. But its father, after he had lost the child, took it heavily to heart, and through grief at it, he died a few days after at Tarentum. Now, after news reached the grandfather of the children at home about this matter, how that one of the children had been stolen, the grandfather changed the name of that other twin. Like, that's it. That's it. Yes, this really does go to show that comedy... It's not so much about the information as it's about the delivery. I mean, you know, yeah, this is, I think this, the version I have, it has occasionally been actually done as a stage play. They have put it on in various places. And I can imagine this actually getting laughs. Uh, um, I, it's not going to be like people aren't going to start vomiting with laughter, but it is going to get laughs. Your version, that is quite a, let's try to wring all of the life out of this. I don't want to insult the Cambridge translator who did your hus. Uh, I'm not even sure if I ended up using the translation that I told you about, mostly because uh, when I opened one of the links, it was a very long introduction, lots of notes, and then the text wasn't fucking Latin. It wasn't even translated at all. And I was like, ah! nearly through the And you phone. said, I'm going to have to put on my Latin study cap. Mm, yes, no, absolutely not. So um, currently I'm reading the T. Machios Plautus Menekmi or the Twin Brothers Henry Thomas Riley edition that I have received from perseus.tufts.edu slash hopper. Yes, that seems very much like the kind of translation, either it's a 19th century translation or it's a translation for people who are learning Latin and it is used for the purpose of giving them a literal translation so that they can really figure out what's going on rather than it being a literarily good translation yeah but yeah no actually um comparing these two editions will probably be very interesting because um i did wonder about that a little bit as i was taking my notes going this is boring are we what are we gonna do should we have like tried to get the same edition together so we actually were on the same page but no no i'm actually quite glad now that we're doing very different versions. God. Yes, I, I can imagine that in your edition, certain lines will be different. Like for my one, we're, we're skipping over. So we've talked about the uh, 
we've talked about the prologue. Now let's get into Act 1, but there is a line a bit later on where Menachemus, he's stolen a dress from his wife, and he's saying, look how I've battled with such guts, and look, this dress I stole inside, it soon will be my little sluts. That is... I take it that's not in your... What? What? Wow! Okay! No, that is not, that is not what it says. If yours is a 19th century translation, they do tend to, uh, to taper down the more extreme aspects of it. I think this episode is going to involve a lot of my, my reactions going, oh no, just, just there's going to be a lot of reaction shots, reaction clips from me. Yes, I usually try to avoid reading stuff. Out. I, I say I try to avoid, I never do avoid it, but I do try to avoid reading stuff out at length. I suppose today I will be reading a lot of stuff out at length. <laughs> you might be, yes. Holy shit. Another yep. fact about another fact about having different translations is that the original apparently does not have any stage directions. So my one has to guess at the kind of stage directions that are going to go on. And he does put in a bit of his own flavor into the stage directions. Like at one point he says of the wife, the wife said square brackets in a sweetly bitchy way. So I mean, this this does have, it is a comedy from the 1980s, so some of the humour is, is going to be of that sort. Oh! Wow! Wow! Okay! Okay! This, this is going to be fun. Yes, I, do you want, would you ever, I'll put it like this, would you ever reread this play using the translation I have? I mean, I mean, maybe? I don't know. Or maybe some of his other plays by this same translator. I mean, it'll be... It might be fun to see all his translations of, like, say, XYZ and more respectful or tasteful translations of XYZ and just have, like, a compare contrast of, like three to five pieces of work just just to like go what the fuck was this man thinking i mean when it comes to being tasteful i don't think plautus can can take any claim to being tasteful so he gets a translator he deserves i mean yeah yeah you're not wrong on that end like this is not this is not a good i wouldn't okay i'm not sure if it's a bad play but i wouldn't i wouldn't watch it i would yeah i would say that uh Apparently, even the translator said, you know, before I started translating this, I didn't think Plautus would get last. But then they put my thing on stage and people laughed at it. So I thought, oh, oh, it still works. <laughs> Act one. And for those of you following on at home, my edition doesn't actually have act break, so I am just making my own guesses. To summarise, Mac... Hmm. So for simplicity's sake going on, I will refer to the Menachemus, who lives in Epidamnus. I will refer to this kidnapped twin as Mac-E, and I will refer to the other Menachemus, the Menachemus who stayed home with Grandfather, I will refer to him as Mac-S. So that's S for Syracuse, Mac S from Syracuse, Mac E 
from Epidamnus. Hopefully this won't get too confusing, even though that is the entire joke of the play. Paniculus. Paniculus comes onto stage. Who is Paniculus? Paniculus is a parasite. Parasite which is apparently the kind of thing you did in the ancient Roman world. He is a guy whose entire job is to hang around rich people and try to get them to give them food. It's a kind of professional Cosmo Kramer. And Paniculus comes to Mac-E's house, where just as Mac-E has stolen his wife's dress, he is wearing his wife's dress under his own clothes, and he has stolen his wife's dress because he wants to give it to his mistress. And at the end of this act, Mac-E meets his escort called Erotium. Erotium. My translator suggests that she could also be called Passionella. <laughs> But I think, a, yes, but I think Erotium is also fairly direct. <laughs> oh, Passionella, that sounds like, um, that sounds like a Hanna-Barbera character. It sounds like the porn parody of a Hanna-Barbera character. Fuck, what's that, um, uh, lady driver's name? Some, like, Penelope, Penelope, Penelope Pitstop. Pit Stop. It sounds like Penelope Pitstop's, like, I don't know. Well, um, after my driving career broke down, I had to go into other lands of business. You can call me Passionella. I don't <laughs> know what her accent is, but... <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is exquisite. Oh, oh no. That's so bad. Oh, okay. I, I must calm down. I'm okay. But Mackie gives his mistress erotium he gives her the dress but before he can have a feast with her before he can have the rumpy pumpy with her he needs to conduct some business so he goes to the forum to do some business but he orders that a meal be made and that's the end of act one so sophie did i miss anything um no that's that's pretty much the that's what happened yeah I, it's just so it's so dry comparatively. Um, I will mention that when Paniculus first arrives, he kind of has like a very small like slave uh, monologue, which um, that my notes say the dude who says slaves and servants don't run away when their stomachs are full. Like so long as you give him what to eat and what to drink at his own pleasure in abundance every day, if faith he'll never run away, even if he has committed an offense that's capital. And um, I was like, foreshadowing? Anyway, easily will yes. you secure him so long as you shall bind him with such chains. So very supple are these chains of food. The more you stretch them so much, the more tightly do they bind. And I'm like, oh, that's a... Yes, in my edition, he says, you'll guard with ease by using chains that he can chew. The nicest thing about these chains of nourishment, the more you loosen them, the more tightly they bind. I'm heading for Menachemus. He's the man whom I've had myself condemned. I'm hoping that'll chain me. He doesn't merely feed men, he can breed men, and indeed men are reborn through him. No doctor's better. So essentially, yes, he does get money, he does get a lot of food from Maki. He's not really a slave. He is almost the exact opposite of a slave. He is a guy who just eats and eats and eats and eats from Maki's table, seemingly for no payment whatsoever. Maybe he does a few good deeds for him but he just seems to be yeah essentially a cosmo kramer character yeah 
And also, um, Peniculus is, um, according to the notes on this edition, means uh, tablecloth um, or table wipe because he keeps cleaning up after people and just takes up their scraps. So, um, which is important for later bits. On that note, on the note, all these characters' names being puns, like uh, erotium, uh, paniculus, meaning table scraps, apparently menecumus, menecumus is also a pun. It's a mathematical pun relating to, like, the duplication of a triangle or something like that. I forget about what it is exactly, but there's a pun in that name as well. Wait, so... Would it be like calling a character um, after the mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell? He, I suppose so. Uh, there is... Osmosis Jones. Ah, so I found the note. It says, Plautus Manikmai. Uh, Gratwick points out that Plautus has very likely invented the name of the twins as a kind of comic commemoration of Manikmus, the mathematician of Syracuse, famous for her solution of the problem of the duplication of the cube to the unmathematical, a sort of twinning. So it's a very sort of, let you're patting the audience who gets it on the head. Oh, see, you know your mathematics. So if, if there was a Sinead and a Connie and a Tanny in a love triangle, would that... Yeah, mm, yes, I, mm, I suppose so. <laughs> Is that is that is that the kind of joke? Yes, basically. Oh my, uh, oh my god. It's so bad. Don't 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 taint the ancient world with your hatred of puns. They had different values back then. Sinead, <laughs> uh, Tanny and Connie in love. Hate it. And in my edition as well, I mean may there are a lot of things that are in your edition that are in my edition that might not be in your edition. For instance, in my edition, it's sort of half a musical because characters will often come onto stage singing. My edition says they're singing the sorts, the basic plot that's going on around them. They'll also speak, but occasionally they'll they'll talk in rhyme, and my translator assumes that they're singing when they're doing this. Like, we're, we're first introduced to Manekmus. He's coming in, moaning about his wife. If you weren't such a shrew, if you weren't such a shrew, so uncontrolled, ungrateful too, whatever thing your husband hated, you'd find hateful too. And if you act up once again the way you've acted up today, I'll have you packed up back to daddy as a divorcee. However often I try to go out, you detain me, delay me, demand such details as where I'm going, what I'm doing, what's my business all about. Deals I'm making, undertaking what I did when I was out. I don't have a wife. I have a customs office bureaucrat. For I must declare the things I've done. I'm doing all that. All the luxuries you've got have spoiled you rotten. I want to live for what I give. Maids and aids, a pantry full. Purple clothing, gold and wool. You lack for nothing money buys. So watch for trouble if you're wise. A husband hates a wife who spies. So it's that kind of thing. There are rhymes. It's music. <laughs> Oh no! It's is That's this like it. learning that we were meant to watch a film, but you're watching the one that was cut for the Turkish audience and only comes in two forty p? Yeah. Okay. Now I have to ask: When was your edition again? Like nineteen eighty? Mine was released in like nineteen eighty. Okay. I wonder if this translator had like 
um, what's the had like ambition for the theater. Cass I think mine. Ex I think mine explicitly says that he was. Um, so in his preface, he says, "One magical summer evening in 1962, I saw an Italian translation of Plautus's Casina convulse a huge audience at the Stadia di Domaziano in Rome. Until that time, ah, so my first attempt at a Plautine translation was the Braggart Soldier." when which was played in 1963 so over the course of a few decades he decided to translate most of these plays into english for the purpose of being played in a theater actually because i'm just going when was cats released when oh, was my superstar released was he inspired by one of those it is the ninth. I suppose that uh, the Cats as a musical was released in the eighties. Jesus Christ Superstar was late seventies. Uh, Jesus Christ Superstar starring Paul Nicholas at the Palace Theatre London in nineteen seventy-two. I just opened Wikipedia. I, I suppose that you know musical comedies had existed before then, so he might yeah. have been bringing what he knew from that into this. Yeah, but it just it just sounds so. West End. It just sounds so. See, see, we all have degrees and we can laugh, can't we? Oh. Again, quite a lot of... Uh, we're going to... I, I will just ask this straight up. Did you find yours funny? Did you find your translation funny at all? No. Okay. Not at all. Yes, I was it's lucky so in my dry. choice. Yes. <laughs> He, yes, uh, it's one of those that, yes, it is one of those things where comedy is so much about delivery. And I find that this may just be the modern translation. Maybe if I knew Latin, I could make a better judgment. But I find that the comedy in this works a bit better than the one in Shakespeare's Comedy of Errors. Uh, works a bit better than most of Shakespeare's comedy. Like when we look at Shakespeare's comedy as modern people, we tend to gravitate towards not the comedic parts of his comedies. We tend to gravitate towards the parts where characters are melancholy about life or the more deeper, more somber meanings or the more meaningful meanings of his work because the comedy in those plays just doesn't work for us. I assume that mainly has to do with the language and the delivery because my translation does at least bring some life into the modern day. Yeah, no, because... Um, for the next scene, um, while actually that scene about um, Mackie yelling at his wife, the I wrote the classic hetero joke of the wife being a ball and chain, which for a second this I was like, does okay. Feel, it's one of those things where it does feel modern, but in the sense of like a 1960s comedy. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just like, okay, well, ball and chain and, you know, the slavery above um so you know keeping servants close by being good and nice to them instead of being a bureaucratic twat like that's a i guess that's a through line i guess that's a i guess that's a thing um that exists in this but yeah um for that part it goes moreover if after this day you do any such thing to me i'll force you a divorced woman turned out of my doors to go visit your father for as often as I wish to go out of the house, you are detaining me, calling me back, asking me questions. Whither I am going, what matter I am about, what business I am transacting, what I am wanting, what I am bringing, what I have been doing out of doors. 
And I'm just going, uh, are your other heteros okay? Other heteros okay? You say this is a woman married to a man. Yes. <laughs> it is, uh, the irony is not lost on me. It is, it is one, it, it does show you the level to which some aesthetic pleasantness can make you get over the moral dodginess of some of these things. Yeah, I, I definitely think one would have been a lot more enjoyable to read. On the note of, you know, this his wife, the wife character who is just called Wife, that's her name. Her name is Wife. Where something that Shakespeare changes. In his version, he gives the wife a name and he gets rid of the mistress's name. So Shakespeare, the, the, the playwright of family values. Uh, in, <laughs> but in this version, uh, so we're talking about... You know, the wife is a ball and chain. She's meant to be like in a very annoying character. I'm not going, I will not suggest that there's some hidden depths to her character because I don't think there is. It, I will say that I think that the joke is perpetually on the man. Uh, the joke is always, I'm not saying that the joke is on the man and the woman comes off good. No, the woman is part of the joke on the man because the comedy of this play comes from this guy, this Mac E, and he wants to have pleasure. He wants to do fun things. He wants to go to his mistress and have a feast. And the joke of the play is that things just keep getting in his way. And we're not meant, we're not meant to feel sympathy for him. We're not meant to say, oh, I hope he, something good happens to him. No, we're laughing at this sort of middle-class office worker having every football yanked from his grasp. We are just laughing. Oh, haha, you, you goddamn henpecked fool. Look at you being uh, bossed around by your wife. Ha ha, look at you. you. You wanted to have a feast, but now you're being forced to go to work. Ha ha. So the joke is always on laughing at this somewhat comfortable middle-class guy. Yeah, no, it's very much that. Uh, and also... Messy. I'm gonna call the non non kidnapped one that's looking for his brother brother Messy, because it's you know Menachemus of Sosicles. Okay, so let's call them that. So the Menachemus who was kidnapped is Mac E, and the Menachemus who Kate who was given the name Menachemus after his brother was kidnapped and who was coming from abroad from Syracuse, he is called Messy. Mackie Messy. Mackie and Messi, such cute boys. I hope they die. I think we can know that Messi, he was willing to walk 500 miles and walk 500 more. And also, he's a dumb fucking boy. He's a dumb fuck. But that goes into, like, act... Yes, it's for act two. Yes. Uh, let me check if there's anything else I want to say. I mean, what did you think of Erotium's character? What did you think of her character? I suppose we're meant to... It's one of those things where all the... None of... It's one of those things where none of the characters in this play have that much depth to them. And the fact that they're so briefly drawn can almost encourage a reader to read and interpret some ambiguity or depth into their character. Like, for instance, Erotium... Paniculus looks at her and thinks, ah, this, uh, let me find if I can find a line about, ah, so Paniculus is talking about Erotium. Erotium says, meanwhile, since you hate your wife, you wear her clothing. Is that it? What have you got on? Menachemus says, it's just a dress addressed to you, sweet rose. Erotium, you're on top. You out-top all other men who try for me. 
and Paniculus says, aside, sluts can talk so sweet while they see something they can snatch from you. So that is, that is the, so the Paniculus is very much of the opinion that, oh, Erotium, she's just a sweet-talking bitch. Now, Erotium yeah. doesn't particularly have that much of a character. Uh, we don't get that much of her interiority. So a modern reader might try to read into her character, oh, no, this is just Paniculus's view of her. But I do feel that in this play, the Plautus, the writer, is sort of assuming that you're going to see the stereotype and just assume the stereotype is true. You're going to fill in the character with your knowledge of the stereotype. Yep. And I'm just trying to look for that part. Um, it's... Uh... Meantime, however, you cannot help being wrapped in something of hers. What's this? Takes hold of the mantle. It's like, tis a new dress for you and a spoil from my wife, my rosebud. Uh, Paniculus aside, the harlot's coaxing in the meantime while she's looking out what to plunder. For if you really loved him, by this his nose ought to have been off with your teething him. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? And I checked the note with your teething him, judging from this remark, perhaps she has accidentally forgotten to kiss her dupe, uh, Mackie. Yes, in yes. my one, he does take the leap into making that assumption. He says, if you really loved him, you would have smooshed his nose right off his face. Yeah, no, that does seem to be um, what is implied. Although teething him, I'm just going, is, is, I, is, is she meant to be removing his teeth with pliers? Yes, it's, it's one of those things where... Yeah, sometimes a metaphor, you know, throughout history, some metaphors sort of stay the same, like, oh, you sweet rosebud. Other metaphors stop working almost immediately, like, go on, teeth him, teeth him. The Song of, the song of Solomon in the Bible is another example of that. It says, oh, your breasts were like twin gazelles. Hmm. I, <laughs> I don't know if I should be complimented by that. Is that good or bad? They have horns. Are you saying I have cancer? <laughs> That's incredible. Act two. Well, Messi has just arrived in Epidamnus with his slave, his slave called Messenio. Messenio, does your notes say there's a pun in there somewhere, Sophie? Uh, surprisingly, no, there is no, there is no note on, on his name, which I'm like a little bit saddened by, because then again, maybe like it also didn't have one for, for Menigmas, so, which is actually probably one of the funniest ones that's there just because of my own joke about Pythagoras and fuck. Tanny! God damn it. Um, so yeah, not, not, a, no notes for me. So Mac S, so Mac Etno Messi arrives in Epidamnus with his slave, Messenio, looking for his long lost brother. He's been searching for his brother all over the world. This is a, a plot point that does raise into some very obvious potholes later on, but uh, let's, let's leave that for later. <laughs> But when Messi arrives in Epidamnus, he meets Erotium's cook. He meets the cook of his lost brother's mistress. And obviously, Erotium's cook thinks that Messi is Mackie. So then we have a series of hilarious misunderstandings. 
as Rotium's cook and Mac E starts saying, I know you, no, I don't know you, I know you, that sort of thing. And finally, Mac, uh, Messi meets Rotium, who thinks that he's Mackie, and starts seducing him because she thinks he's her sugar daddy. And Ma- Messi, as one can expect, goes along with her, goes along with her seductions. And then, as he's leaving her house, he Messi meets Paniculus. Paniculus, who is waiting for a meal from Mac E, but he meets Messi and demands food from Messi. But Messi gets out of doing that, and he is sent off by Erotium to have her dress adjusted. At which point he says, I'm going to steal this dress. And he runs off with the dress, thinking he's just had a good shag, some food, and also a lovely dress to sell somewhere else. Did I leave anything out? Nope, nope. You've basically covered that. You've basically have covered everything. Um, Cylindrus, there is a note about uh, his name. It's basically, you know, a cylinder. I think it might also refer to like a rolling pin. So it's like naming your cook Cookie. Certainly, uh, yes, it's a uh, yes calling. Yes, calling. It's that very Dickensian style of naming. The 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 smoking man called Mister Chimney. The teacher called Mister Chokum Child. Chokum Child. That last one is real. That last oh my one God. is. What? what? Really? He's the schoolmaster in hard times. something new every day <laughs> we can already see that so we are re- i'm reading this play in light of having recently read the shakespeare play and it is quite a, it is it is quite a thing to see the ways in which shakespeare changes the plot slightly the ways in which he sometimes makes it more believable and other times makes it less believable. Like in this, in Shakespeare's version, the, the, the brother who arrives on the island, uh, who arrives in Epidamnos, he's just going there for no reason. He's, he's just going there to trade. He doesn't know about his brother. He doesn't care. He doesn't think he's going to find his brother. Okay, so that maybe you think, oh, isn't it very convenient that he winds up on the island where his long-lost brother is? In this version... Messi is explicitly looking for his long-lost twin brother. He is explicitly going from island to island looking for his long-lost twin brother. Okay, that's that coincidence sorted out. He is going to find his brother eventually if he goes around these places. However, this does raise a incredibly uh, a running plot hole, which is that it never once occurs to him throughout the whole play even as people are saying, I know you, I know you, you're my husband, you're my, uh, you're my mistress, you're my such and such, it never once occurs to him that maybe his twin brother is on this island. It never occurs to him. It's, it's just so incredibly dumb. And is it, is it because, like, they keep, he keeps saying his name? Does he, does, did Grandpa not explain to him that, oh, yeah, I changed your name? Like... Oh, actually, you know what would be really fucked up and really funny and would actually somewhat make it make this believable? Um, if the grandpa had told twin that it's like, hey, grandpa, like I could have sworn my name was, you know, 
not Benigmus. Like, I thought that was my twin. And Grandpa went, no, 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 no. It's the thing, the name that you think was yours was actually the dead, dead twins. You've always been Monachmus. You've just, you just liked pretending to be each other. So uh, setting yeah. the etymology of gaslighting back 2000 years. Yes. <laughs> You're, you've always been Monachmus. You've, you've never been fucking the other guy. And we have so, always okay. been at war with Oceana. Okay. So maybe when people go, oh, hey, Monachmus. Yeah. You have a wife. It's like, okay. Uh, why do they know my name and not my twin's name? Because that's never mentioned. Um, it's like to seek for my own twin brother born. Like they never mention my twin brother who has the same name as me. Which begs the question, who, was, who did he think he was looking for? There's another, there's another thing, there's another coincidence that it's one of those things where if you just saw the play, this wouldn't occur to you. But the fact that my the stage directions in my because he is giving this uh, book to actual uh, theatre companies, so he has to state this out loud for them. He does point out that uh, so Menachemus II, accompanied by his slave Messenio, as chance, i.e., the playwright would have it, the twin is also wearing the exact same outfit as his long lost brother. Oh, when, no. when you put it like that, it is quite odd that. They live on different islands. This isn't like some national dress they wear. They live on different islands. And yet on this very same day, he not only, you know, not only is he looking for his brother, he's wearing the exact same clothes as his brother. This is insanity. And like, also, he's been to a lot of fucking places. Um, so Messenio is like, why? What end is there to be of searching for him? This is the sixth year that we've devoted our attention to this business. We have been already carried around the Istrians, the Hispanians, the Massilians, the Illyrians, all the upper Adriatic Sea, and foreign Greece, and all the shores of Italy, wherever the sea reaches them. If you had been searching for a needle, I do believe you would, long ere this, have found the needle, if it were visible. Among the living, are we seeking a person that's dead? For long ago, should we have found him if he had been alive? So, like... It makes more sense, like, why are they wearing the same clothes? He might have been wearing Greek sandals with Italian Italian tunic, maybe an Upper Adriatic Sea hat because the Upper Adriatic Sea is full of um, seafarers. And like, oh, yeah, nah, your landlubber hat is shit. Wear this one instead. It's one of those things where this is one of those things where you just sort of, if you just put it on stage... Just hope no one thinks about it. It's one, if it is on stage, you, you probably wouldn't think about it. You just sort of go along with, oh, that's what he's wearing. Oh, he's, you, you wouldn't question that deeply. It's the fact that the stage direction has to say it. They think, oh yeah, that is weird. And on the uh, note of Messenia, so we already see another. Uh, there's there's contrast even between you know these twins where. Uh, Mac E, he's a guy, he wants pleasure, but oh no, he's always getting taken away from pleasure. But Messi, he's a guy, he has pleasure thrown upon him. He comes into this town and this lovely woman is coming after him saying, oh yes, I love you, come with me, darling. That sort of thing. And so Mac E, his hanger-on is Paniculus. Now Paniculus is a parasite. He says, give me food, give me food, and he just wants food. He gets stuff from Mac E. Whereas uh, Messi, he has a slave called Messino. Messino, who is this sort of rather guy who's, he, he knows he's put upon, he's always moaning, he's saying, 
oh, oh, I'm, it's so awful being a slave. And he obviously does not like the fact that he is going around all these islands with his brother. And in my translation, the way he expresses his displeasure with going around looking for this brother who's probably dead, he says, by Hercules, unless you go home right away, while you search on, still finding no kin, you'll be broken. Excuse me while I go die in a corner. <laughs> oh, God. In my, in my edition, he does often, in the inter- he often puts in these little uh, asterisks where he'll say, no, no, actually, this pun was in the original. I'm not putting this in there. This is in the original. Actually, I think I know which one you're talking about as well. Oh, I hate that. But yeah, by my troth, I guess, if you don't be returning home while you're seeking your twin brother, you'll surely be groaning when you have nothing left. And I'm just like, why does the thing have a six on it? I'm like, I go to the six and you'll surely be groaning. He intends a puerile play upon the resemblance of the words gemmies or jemmies will be groaning and geminum, twin brother. This is... You have to love it when the translator says, I will not even dignify this joke with translation. <laughs> Thank God sometimes. And the way he describes Epidamnus, the slave, he describes it as, because of this they call the city Epidamnus, for no one leaves unscathed, undamaged, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> yep. Uh... And later Messi says, you might... So uh, uh, he says that you might cause epidamnation for me. <laughs> Insert more throwy uppy noises. Ah, oh, at least, at I least wonder, that was I wonder how you would actually react to reading my edition instead, because on the one hand, yes, there's a lot of liveliness to it, and you like that. There's also puns on every page. <laughs> I mean, I think I would enjoy it a lot more because for that part, the equivalent is the name of Epidamnus was given to the city for the very reason, because hardly any person sojourns here without some damnable mishaps. Seven. Because brevity is the soul of wit. <laughs> Seven. Sine damno, literally, without mischief or mishap. He puns on the resemblance of damnum to epidamnum. An attempt has been made in the translation to preserve the resemblance in some degree. Yes, your your edition really does seem like a <laughs> something for Latin learners. Something I'm cut out all the art just so you can figure out what's grammatically going on in this sentence. It's a textbook. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> it's a textbook. Uh... But on the note. So we've been, I'll skip over the stuff with Cylindrius, but it does, as this play starts, the confusion starts quite quickly. And I mentioned how Shakespeare removes a certain plot hole, which is that his version of Mac, Mac Messi is not looking for his brother. And so when he comes to this island and people start mistaking him for his twin brother, he has no reason to suspect that actually his twin brother is here. But I would say that on the whole, on like a point-for-point basis, Plautus does a better job at making this believable. 
because a lot of the same events occur in this book, in the Plautus version, as in the Shakespeare version, but the psychological motivation does seem to be a bit more believable. Like in Shakespeare's version, in both, in both of these versions, they realize they're being mistaken for someone else, and they just decide to go along with it. They decide to say, oh, I'll just, this woman is saying that I am actually this other person. This woman who I've never met is saying I am this other person. I'll go along with it. In Shakespeare's version, Messi meets Mackie's wife, and Mackie's wife is saying, you're my husband, come with me. And Mackie is saying, I know Messi is saying, it's like, oh, this island is full of sorcery. I will play along and go with her. That is the occasion for that plot point. It is him saying, oh, there's probably magic here. In this version, it is Rotium who says, oh, come here, you brilliant man, come to me. And Messi saying, this attractive woman is throwing herself on me. I'll probably go along with that. So that's far more believable than the Shakespeare version. I mean, he does, like, reject her a little at first. It's like uh, a Messinio is sort of warning him off. Oh, don't, don't do it. Do you know what they do in these island places? This is, a, this is a den of scum and villainy. Don't fall for the scum and villainy. Messenio to, to Messi, the cricket to Pinocchio. So, Messenio says, here's what I think. I think the women living here is some sort of a slut. That's what I gathered <laughs> from that maniac who left. Sorry, sorry, it's not again. God. So, Messenio says, uh, here's what I think. I think the woman living here is some sort of slut. Uh, Messi says, and yet I wonder how that fellow knew my name. So he's, so he's already wondering, why does this person know my name is Menachemus? I don't know, but he says my name is Menachemus. The Messenio says, it's like, oh, well, I don't wonder. Wanton women have this way. They send their servants or their maids to port to see if some new foreign ships arrived in port, to ask around, where are they from? What are their names? Right afterwards, they fasten on you hard and fast. They tease you, then they squeeze you dry and send you right home. Right now, I'd say a pirate ship is in this port, and I would say we'd better both beware of it. So in a way, that does sort of explain... Um, so... At, Yes, he does sort of warn Menachemus off, and he says, by Hercules, you warned me well. But as Rotium continues to try to, you know, uh, sweet-talk him, he puts his critical thinking to one side. Yeah. And they do have, uh, they do have this, like, uh, incredibly modern sort of double-take sort of situation where Rotium comes on to say, My darling, darling, it's a might amazing to see you standing out of, door out of doors by open doors. You know full well how much of my house is yours. All you ordered were supplied with, all your wishes are complied with. So why stay here? Why delay here? Come inside with me. Since dinner's ready, come and dine. As soon as suits you, come, recline. And then Messi says, who's this woman talking to? And Rotium says, to you. To me? What have we? And so it is, it is, it's quite, it's quite good. And also I assume that those lines that Rotium said were done in a, in a sort of song, in a music, this is her musical, one of her musical numbers. Yeah, not gonna lie, that would have made a great Disney villain song. The, the tempting, the, the hero songs. It's like, yes, come along, come now, enjoy, recline. Damn it. I wish I had this edition. Yeah. Um, 
And of course, the importance of body language, that sort of thing. Yes, because my dear life, it seems wonderful to me that you are standing here out of doors, for whom the door is wide open more so than your own house, inasmuch as this house is at your service. Everything's ready as you requested and as you desired, nor have you now any delay indoors. The breakfast, as you ordered, is prepared here. When you please, you may go and take your place. To whom is this woman addressing herself? Why, I am talking to yourself. What business have I ever had with you, or have I now? Troth, then, as much as Venus has willed that you singly above all I should exalt, and that not without your deserving it, for by my faith you alone make me, by your kindnesses, to be thriving. Mm. In my version, Messi continues. She surely is very mad or very drunk, Messino, speaking to a total stranger like myself so uh, sociably. Mm. And it's it is what it, as I say, it is more believable than Shakespeare's version because he is being seduced by a you know, an attractive woman, a woman who's throwing himself on her. And yes, Messenio saying, you know, don't, she's obviously trying to scam you. She's going to take, she's going to steal your clothes and take your money. Don't be mad. Uh, but, you know, an attractive woman is on you. You're going to start thinking, mm, what's the best that can happen here? And Erosium, and Menachemus says, is trying, so Messi says, woman, you want someone else. I mean, uh, mm, uh, I'm sure you don't want me. And Erosium says, don't I know you well, Menachemus? Know your father's name was Moscus? You were born, or so they say, in Syracuse, in Sicily? And Messi says, Say that's not inaccurate. <laughs> and then Messi says, Ah, oh, Hercules, I shouldn't keep refusing her. And Messenius, Oh, don't you dare go inside that door. You're a goner, sir. And then Messi says, now you shut up. Things are going well. Whatever she suggests, I'll agree. Why not get a little uh, hospitality? Uh, dear lady, please, I was impolite a while ago. I was a bit afraid that... And he points to Messino, he might go and tell my wife about the dress, about the dinner. Now, when would you like to go inside? Yes, it is quite... Uh... And and another upshot of this is so the part of part of the joke of this play is that uh, so Mac E he wants pleasure keeps on getting taken away from him. Messy pleasure keeps getting thrown on him. He gets to have sex with this lovely woman. He gets to eat this lovely meal with this lovely woman. Have sex with her, and then she gives him the dress that was stolen from uh, Mackie's wife. And he says, "Oh yes, darling, yes, I'll go and have it adjusted. Ah, now I'll just go and uh, steal this and sell this somewhere." This is very Looney Tunesy in that sense, isn't it? Yes, it is a. Uh, I did yes. Uh, I'd say all the great comedies share some element. Be it. Uh... Not sure if this is great, but my only note for this. My notes are so sparse, just because it's so straightforward. This edition. Where the fuck is it? Oh yeah, Messi commits a rape by deciding to go along with the shenanigans. Yes, yes, it's a, well, I have to say, of its time, of its time. Don't you dare think about it, it's of its time. Uh... It's like when you, you, you open any comedy from before the, uh, I'd say 2015, and you're going to have to, like that scene in Young Frankenstein, where 
there's a woman, you know, the, the Frankenstein, the Peter Boyle Frankenstein monster throws a woman down onto some hay and she's like, oh no, don't you dare, don't you dare. Then he drops his trousers and he's like, oh, woof, woof. <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> oh, I did not know that. I wish I had brain. Now brain. we're going to watch it together. Never. So Paniculus, having been chased away by Messi, so he had previously went up to Messi thinking he was Mackie, but no, Messi says, I don't know, you go away. So Paniculus thinks that Mac E has been cruel to him. So he goes to Mac E's wife to sell him out to say, oh, he stole your dress and he gave it to his mistress. So then Mac E is confronted by his wife who confronts him about the stolen dress. And we must say that Mackie comes on to stage doing a musical number about trying to get a man off a civil charge in a court of law. And this man being so stupid, he wouldn't accept an out-of-court settlement for a crime he obviously committed. So this is the kind of satirical musical number you'd expect in the works of a Stephen Sondheim, I suppose. And... Mac E goes, goes groveling back to Herotium, asking for the dress back. Herotium says, I already gave you the dress, and don't you dare come asking for a dress back that you gave me, so go away. And so his own mistress kicks him out of the house. And, but then, Mess E is walking along the street, and he is confronted by Mac E's wife. And, of course, she is saying, you're my husband. And he's saying, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. And she says, oh, I'll go get my father. And she gets her father, her father who comes on doing his own musical number, and basically says, can you deal with him? He says that I'm not his wife. And then Mac E's father confronts Mess E, but Mess E pretends to be insane. And so he, he manages to scare them off. Yeah. Oh, um, you might want to briefly mention uh, Messi as a fucking messy bitch. Um, by trying to, uh, you know, fraud um, Erotium's uh, maid maidservant. And I just wish to say, Paniculus is feeling persnickety. My one is, there is a, let me try to find it, there is a rather, mm, let's say, slightly... Um, there is a stage direction in mine, which is, and Rotium's maid comes on stage, and the stage direction is a sexy little thing. What? What? No. Oh my god. Oh my god. How dare? Jesus. So enter Rotium's maid, a sexy little thing. Oh my god. This man, this man, how dare, oh God. The 80s, I guess. Jesus. This is the era of the carry-on film. The era of Are You Being Served? Eh. Missy is a bad person. Missy is just a bad person and just makes me wonder, like, if he's such a bad person, why is he looking for his twin? Why does he give a shit? Does he want yeah. to try? Is 
was this the plan all along? Pretend to be his twin brother and steal all, all his assets if he has any? And if he doesn't yes. and just has a butt ton of debt, just like go, never mind, bye, and just fuck off? Like, what was, why? There why was he so determined? Yes, he is an awful person, but I suppose that's sort of the fantasy of this. He is a person with no social ties or responsibilities to this land. He can do what he likes. Things come up to him. And it, sometimes it does seem, he, even when he is confronted by Mackie's wife, it, it does, it is sort of playing into the wish fulfillment. Because, you know, she comes up to him and says, oh, you, you awful husband of mine, you awful husband. And then uh, her father comes up and says, oh, you really shouldn't be that way to, to your wife, uh, my daughter. Uh, but part of the fantasy is that Messi knows he's in the right here. He knows that they don't know him. He knows that he has done nothing wrong in this situation. Well, he's done something wrong elsewhere, but he's done nothing wrong in this situation because he isn't this woman's husband. And so he can just say what he likes of them. He can say, oh, you awful person, go away. He can pretend to be insane and say absolutely awful things to them. He can say, oh, you you awful looking man, you, you old nester of a person. He can say these things to them and there's no consequences. And he knows that morally speaking, he is in the right. So even when things go badly for him, even when obstacles come up, the fantasy is I can do what I like to get out of this scrape. Ah. Uh. I, I do hate that it's like, that is not how morality works, bitch. That is not how morality <laughs> I'm okay. Anyway, so let's go do this. Uh, so life. when I, I found the source of that stage direction I found, which is that after Paniculus is, has sold out Manekamus, basically he said, the wife says, oh, by Castor, do I give your tunics or your clothes away, even as a loan? A woman can give women's clothes away. Men can give their own. Now will you get that dress back home to me? And Manicamus says, uh, yes, yes, I'll get it back. And the wife says, I'd say you better get it back or else. Only with that dress in hand will you re-enter your own house. Now I'm going in. And then Paniculus says, uh, but what of me? What thanks for all my help? And the wife says, and the stage direction is sweetly bitchy. I'll be glad to help you out when somebody steals a dress from you. No! No! Sir, please! It's both so good and so bad. And there is a... Uh, I'm going to... There is one... Uh, another joke, which I'm going to have to omit a word because it does use a homophobic slur in it. But this is when Messi meets Paniculus and Paniculus thinks that Messi is Mackie. And so uh, Paniculus says, just answer this. Did you not steal that dress today? It was your wife. So you gave it to Erotium. And Messi says, by Hercules, I have no wife. Erotium. I gave her nothing. Didn't steal this dress. You're mad. And Paniculus says, total disaster. But I saw you wearing that dress, and wearing it, I saw you leave your house. And Manicamus says, drop dead. You think all men are F-words, because you are. You claim I actually put on a woman's dress. Okay, so that's how they handled, so that's how he handled that um, translation. Because uh, for this scene, 
Missy is like, a faith, I have no wife, nor have I given the mantle to Erotium, nor have I purloined it, which you have, motherfucker. Paniculus, are you really in your senses? This matter's settled. Did I not see you coming out of doors clad in a mantle? He said, woe to your head. Do you think that all people are effeminate rogues because you are one? Do you declare that I was clothed in a mantle? Troth, I really do. And I'm like, effeminate rogues has a number on it. What the, what? Sinaidos, yeah. uh, literally dancers or dancing masters who being effeminate persons would be more likely to wear a parlor of gay colors. And also, uh, the translator is suppressing the actual meaning of the word. A senatus is a homosexual man. And I'm just going, wait, so the notes are correcting the translators as well? What is... How many people are looking at this? Is, um, you are not only reading a, a textbook, you are reading a, a very coy, a very puritanical textbook. Yes, that is exactly it. But yeah, so... That was, uh, I was like, okay. Yeah, no, I was like, oh no. How would you translate that? But now I know. Now we know. The more we know. How does the um, maidservant um, scene go? Especially when um, Messi says, give me shit. Give me some more shit for me to steal. So what it goes like is, um, so, um, so... So the maid says, and it says that the stage direction is the total coquette. And dear Manakmas, how about a gift for me? Let's say four drachmas worth of jingly earrings. Then when you visit us, I'll really welcome you. And Messi says, of course, give me the gold. I'll pay the labor costs. The maid says, advance it for me. Afterwards, I'll pay you back. And Messi says, uh, no, you advance it. Afterwards, I'll double it. And the maid says, I haven't got it. And Messi says, if you ever get it, give it. And the maid, frustrated, says, I'm at your service. So he is uh, trying to not pay anything at all for this. Yeah, no, okay. So pretty much exactly it. And like, my dear Menegmas, do pray, give me some earrings, the pendants to be made to Didraca... Didrachums? I don't fucking know. In wait, that I may look on you with delight when you come to our house. Be it so, give me the gold. I'll find the price of the workmanship. So, give it yourself, please. At a future time, I'll give it back. No, give it yourself. At a future time, I'll give it you twofold. I haven't any. But when you have it, do you give it me then? Do you wish for aught? Say that I'll attend to these things, aside, to be sold as soon as they can and for what they'll fetch. The maidservant goes into the house. Has she now gone off indoors? She's gone, has shut the door. Surely, all the gods are favouring, amplifying and prospering me. But why do I delay while opportunity and time are granted me to get away from these pure curers' dens? Make haste, Manakmus, full foot and quicken your pace. I'll take off this chaplet and throw it away on the left-hand side, throws the chaplet down, that if they follow me, they may think I've gone in that direction. I'll go and meet my servant, if I can, that he may learn from me these blessings which the gods confer upon me. And I'm like, what the fuck is a traplet? This he had been wearing at the prandium, or breakfast, at Erotium's house. The latter appears to be a more fitting name for a meal that was taken generally about 12 o'clock, 
while the Sina, which commenced in general at about three, cannot with propriety be termed anything else than a dinner. And I'm just going, you still haven't explained what a chaplet is. <laughs> Fuck you, notes. Yes, my one of my translation obviously comes from the era when sexual morality had loosened up quite a bit so that you could say various things, but it hadn't quite got the right balance of order yet, where you could still make the joke of your scene that he uh, goes to bed with a woman under uh, her dubious circumstances. <sighs> but, but, he... But eventually, Mackie's father comes to confront Messi. And the thing about the father is that he just automatically assumes the wife's in the wrong. He says, oh, uh, uh, let me read it out, where uh, the old man goes into a very 1950s joke book idea of marriage, where he oh. says, so, the, wi so the, the wife says, but he loves a fancy woman next door. And the old man says, he's very wise. Thanks to all your diligence, I promise you he'll love her more. The wife says, but he also boozes there. The old man says, you think you'll make him booze the less if he wants to, anywhere he wants. Why must you be so rash? Might as well go veto his inviting visitors to dine. Say he can't have guests at home. What do you women want from husbands? Servitude. Why, next you'll want him to do chores around the house. Next you'll order him to sit down with the maids and card the wool. So yes, a very, very, this is... It is old-fashioned, but in a 1950s sort of way. Yeah. It is modern in an old-fashioned sort of way. Not gonna lie, this one says old man. And so I was like, okay, who the fuck is this man? It is, it is her father. Yeah, it is her father. No, it's at the re after a ridiculous long monologue about him going, oh, I'm so old, I'm just gonna die. Um, the wife of Menegmus of Epidamnus goes, I'll go and meet him. May every happiness attend you, father. And I'm like, what? Happiness attend you. Do I find you in good spirits? Do you bid me be fetched in happy mood? Why are you so sorrowful? And why does he, pointing at Menegmus, in anger stand apart from you? Something I know not what. Are you two wrangling about between you? Say in few words, which of the two, of, two is in fault? No long speeches, though. For my part, I've done nothing wrong. So as to that point, do I at once make you easy, father? But I cannot live or remain here on any account. You must take me away hence immediately. So at least in this translation, like, he is sort of on her side at first. In, in... Until he goes, look at that, a quarrel now. How often, I wonder, have I told you to be cautious that neither should be coming to me with your complaints? It's like, How, my father, can I possibly guard against that? Do you ask me, unless you don't wish? How often have I told you to be compliant to your husband? Don't be watching what he does, where he goes, or what matter he's about. It's, it's like, but why? But he's in love with a courtesan here close by. He is exceedingly wise, and for this painstaking of yours, I would even have him love her the more. And I'm like, oh no. It is, I would say that this old man is meant to be a fool. So, <laughs> yes, yes, there is. And it's, even when she's explaining to him wh what the husband is actually doing, the old man is sort of saying, oh, oh I can sort of see your point, but still, you're a woman. I don't like it. <laughs> and the wife says, but he filches all the jewels and all the dresses from the house, 
stealing on the sly. He then bestows the stuff on fancy women. And the old man says, oh, he's wrong if he does that. Uh, but, but if he doesn't, you, then you're wrong, blaming blameless men. And the wife says, he has the dress this very moment, father. And there is, there, there is a part where essentially uh, the wife says, um, so the messy says, if I've ever set a single foot inside that house of hers, anxiously, I long to be the very saddest man on earth. So he's saying, look, I've never been inside that house. I've never been inside the house. And the old man says, no, uh, no you can't be sane too long for that to claim you've never set foot in the house you live in. Why, you're the very maddest man on earth. And Messi says, what was that old man? You claim I live right here in this house. You deny it? I deny it. Your denial isn't true. Uh, th that's unless you moved away last night. Daughter, come here. Uh, tell me, did you move away from here last night? And so he's like, he is going to believe uh, Messi saying, I never set foot in here. And the old man is trying to find a way that what this man says is true over his own daughter's claims. He will, he just doesn't want to believe his daughter. Yeah. And like, I guess this could be quite funny. Because, um, you know, um, it's like that, um, that joke about, you know, oh, someone's going, you know, the, the complaining and someone seems very sympathetic until... They re until it is made very clear that the sympathy is for the other party. And usually it's like, it's, you know, it's like a, there's a murder, a lady just killed a dude and the lady has done it in a horrific way. And, and the person on, on, on the other side is like, good for her. <laughs> and that's the joke, except, you know, it's the other way around this time. It's like, oh no, this person is clearly in the wrong. It's like, you know what, good for him. And it's like, no. <laughs> It is, yeah, uh, plenty of that kind of comedy does exist. And I do admit that the juxtaposition is is funny, but the scene is not funny because yes. I am reading a book and it is dry as fuck. How are his mad screamings? How when he when Messi says, well, they're calling me insane. I'll pretend to be insane and that will make them leave me alone. Like he starts in my version, he says, it's like, Bacchus, yo-ho, Bacchus, in what forest do you bid me hunt? On my left, I'm guarded by a very rabid female dog. Right behind her is a goat who reeks of garlic, and this goat has, countless time, accused a blameless citizen with perjury. Um, that's actually literally what it says. Yes. Um, but, Evoe, Bacchus, ho, Bromius, in what forest dost thou invite me to the chase? I hear thee, but I cannot get away from this spot. So much does this raving mad female cur watch me on the left side, and behind there is that old, is that other old he-goat who many a time in his life has proved the destruction of an innocent fellow citizen by his false testimony. Old man shaking his stick at him. Woe to your head. Lo, by his miracle, a poet bids me burn out her eyes with blazing torches. He points with his fingers at her. He literally finger guns. Pew pew. Is a he? he the, I, I will mention another stage direction in his mind. After he is basically terrified, the wife and the old man. The old man. He says, "I'll go and get a doctor fast as possible." And the stage direction is exit at a senile sprint. What? It's one of those things where you think you know what that means, but when you think, what does it mean? Oh no! I suppose it's like a a, a 
doddering walk. Maybe he has a weird limp. Yes, I assume so. Oh. <laughs> Oddly enough, right now I'm finding those stage directions a lot funnier than the play itself. Act four. Thinking that Messi is insane, and so because he's seen Messi act insane, he thinks that Mac E is insane, and so the father goes to get a doctor, and he sees Mac E, and because he thinks Mac E did the insane things that Messi did, he sends the doctor and a crowd of people to go and get this insane man who is Mac E. And then there is a series of misunderstandings where all of Mackie's actions are interpreted as insanity, which just gives the Doctor more reason to lock him up. But Mac E is saved by Mess E's slave, Messino, and Mac E, thinking that he doesn't know this man, this uh, Messino, and Messino saying, if you, if you thank me that much, uh, surely you can, uh, maybe you can grant me my freedom. And Messi says... Uh, well, I don't know you, but okay, sure, you're free now. And Messina says, oh, I'm free now, I'm free now. Ha ha, the joke's on him. Slavery still exists. He's still a slave. Uh, uh, but then Mackie and Messi, they meet each other. And despite the fact that Messi has been spending this entire time, the entire reason that he is on this island is because he has been looking for his twin brother, it takes him quite a long time to believe that this man who looks exactly like him is his twin brother. He needs Messino to lead them through the argument bit by bit by bit. It's just so bad. In my edition, the, my translator says, here he is trying to wring every joke out of this premise. Although I assume in your edition, it is just long and tedious. It is very long and tedious. I think the listener, the eager-eyed, uh, the eager-eared listener, will have noticed that with a lot of other plays, as we're doing them, we do go into character motivation, we do go into various things. For this play, we've mainly just been reading out lines and also just saying the plot. At, at least in my edition, this is a good play, this is an entertaining play. But it doesn't really have much under the surface. There's not really much to dig into here. It, there really isn't. I mean, like, I would argue the most interesting character in this play is the grandpa, just because he sounds like a wild as fuck narcissist. Oh, the grandchild that was lost had my name, and it was my favorite one. So I'll just rename this other twin who is already seven years old into into the one that I like better because it has my name. Why? How? Is Oh, just... Mm, every, it does, everything. Yes, it does feel like that the writer is just turning to the audience and saying, yes, I know this is weird. Let's go along with it. Absolutely buck wild. It, there is, I do like the comedy in this place. So yes, the, I, I have saying we're just repeating jokes, but some of the jokes are good. 
the doctor is brought to Mac E because they think that uh, Mac E did the insane things that Messi did. Now, Mac E, he's acting entirely normally. He's acting entirely normally, but all of his actions are interpreted as insanity. So the doctor says, do you sleep right through till dawn? Sleep easily when you're in bed? And, and Mackie says, I sleep through if all the debts I owe are paid. But listen, you, you question asker, you be damned by Jupiter and all the gods. And the doctor says, now I know the man's insane. Those final words are proof. So it, it is it's sort of, I'd say that this is a sort of clever playing with modes of language uh, because it is that sort of thing where two different lines, two, the same words can mean entirely different things in different contexts, where what Mackie has done is essentially saying, you motherfucker. Or he is just, that's what he said, you motherfucker. But the doctor has said, ah, this man is claiming that I've had incestuous relations with my own mother. This is surely an insane thing to say. So that is the kind, that, I, I do like that kind of joke, where this Messi is just speaking vulgarly to these people, but they're saying, oh, well, he seriously means these things. Surely he's insane. Yeah. Also, um, the doctor's questions are quite dumb. Yes. It's like, prithee, why do you bear your arm? Don't you know how much mischief you are now doing to that disease of yours? It's like, why don't you go hang yourself? It's like, why shouldn't I think? If this case can't be treated with even ointment of hellebore, what, what have you to say, Menegmus? What do you want? Tell me this that I ask of you. Do you drink white wine or dark coloured? What need have you to inquire? And then old man's like, Troth, he's now beginning to be attacked with the fit. Is it? Why don't you ask whether I want to eat dark bread or purple or yellow? Or whether I want to eat birds with scales or fish with wings? And it's like, this is, you read this and you think these are entirely... These are entirely decent answers to stupid questions, but because he's getting angry, they think, oh, he must be insane. And it's like, tell me now, do your bowels ever rumble that you know of? And it's like, when I'm full, they don't rumble at all. When I'm hungry, then they do rumble. If Faith, you really gave me that answer, not like an insane person. Do you always sleep soundly until daylight? Do you easily go to sleep when in bed? I sleep throughout if I go to sleep if I have paid money to him to whom I owe it. May Jupiter and all the divinities confound you, you questioner! It's, it's great. No, this, I like this scene. This was actually quite, you know, a good scene to read, even if it was a little dry, because, yeah, I can, I can see Mackie just, yeah, I can, I can see, like, Mackie just losing his goddamn mind. And it is a funny. In a way, it is a kind of gaslighting. But then we get to the to the almost the end of this play, where we have essentially that Spider-Man meme of the two Spider-Men pointing at each other. We have Messi pointing at Mackie, and you know, uh, so uh, Messino says he's pointing to Messi. Him, I say, this man's Menachemus, and then Mackie says, "So am I." Then Messi says, "What joke is this? You're Menachemus," and Mackie says. That I say I am, my father's name was Moscus. No, you're the son of my own father. No, the son of my own father. I'm not anxious to appropriate your father or to steal him from you. And so it is, so 
uh, and as I've stated, Messi knows he has a twin brother. He's been looking for his twin brother. He takes, in my version, six pages to be convinced of this. Jesus, that's forever. Yeah, my one is also, like, just... <sighs> and I'll, I'll be fair to Plowders. I assume the joke is that it's taking so long. I assume that that is the joke. But it's one of those things where, you know, there was that thing that John Cleese said about um, doing Faulty Towers. Like, Faulty Towers is a farce like this. But he's saying that, yes, it's not enough for complications and misunderstandings to just pile up. They need to be somewhat believable. You need to believe that these are the misunderstandings that could happen. Yeah. At least, like, because, like, I guess Messenio making, going, what the fuck is happening makes sense. And then um, if had if Messi had been like, hey, Messenio, my boy, where have you been? And uh, Menigmas Mackie would have been like, who the fuck is this? What the fuck are you? What the, what the fuck is happening? And then Messenio going, I don't know, man. You just, because I'm assuming you're Messi. And uh, we, we all, oh, you're the one that has the authority to set me free. So I am really interested, vested in believing you are my messy, Mackie. And like, if the convincing had happened from Messi's side, it would have been a little bit more convincing. So Messi going, what do you see? Your resemblance in a mirror, said Messino, Messinio. Okay, naming Messi, Messi, when he has a, a servant named Messinio might have been a mistake, but yes. we only had... We, we only had so many options. But anyway, what's the yeah. matter? Tis your image. Tis as like as possible. Like, troth, it really is not unlike so far as I know my own form. It's like, oh, young man, savior, you preserved me, whoever you are. And like, it's like, and it just keeps going. It just keeps going. And it's not, yeah, so it's one of those things where there's not much to be gotten in going through all of it. Yeah. <laughs> It, I, I suppose that maybe this would work in performance, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I would say the only other detail that maybe matters, that maybe we can get something out of, is that the ending of this play is that... So I will say that in Shakespeare's play, I think, it's been a, been a few weeks since I've read the uh, Comedy of Errors, at the end of Shakespeare's play, uh, the Messi and Mackie, they say, oh, uh, uh, we'll stay... In this town will stay with um, the kidnapped brother on this town. Mac, uh, Mac E will stay with his wife and Messi will marry the wife's sister. See, happily ever after. I think that's how it ends. In this version, in Plaudus's version, Messi says, oh, no, Mackie says, oh, my brother, I'll go with you. I'll sell all my stuff, get rid of my wife and just go with you. It is the entire opposite. In Shakespeare's version, let let more family, uh, another nuclear family with me. Let's all in happy, happy marriage. In this one, it's like, oh, fuck my wife. I'm leaving with you. Yeah. Um, and actually, it's, a, it's actually even a little bit worse. It's actually a... Because uh, Messinio, the last paragraph that uh, I specifically did not read out loud before was... An auction of the property of Menegmus will certainly take place on the morning of the seventh day. Hence, his slaves, furniture, house, and farms will be sold. All will go for whatever they'll fetch at ready money prices. 
his wife too will be sold as well if any purchaser shall come. I think that by the entire sale, Monachmus will hardly get 100,000 sesterces. To the spectators, now, spectators, fare you well and give us loud applause. My version is done in sort of the, the musical style, so I assume that uh, maybe putting it in a musical number would make it more tasteful. It's like, name your price, so slaves and goods, his farm and city houses, everything will go. Name your prices if you've got the cash in hand, it all will go. Yes, if there's any bidder for the thing, his wife will go. Maybe the entire auction will enrich us. Who can tell? Fair moment, dear spectators, clap with vigour. Fare ye well. Ah! They're awful! They are so awful! It is that kind of thing where... It is... Uh, the, the part of the fantasy of this is just being untied from social obligations. Like, it's one of those things where if, like, part in my, uh, the person, the, the translator of mine in his introduction, he's very much of the opinion that a lot of the joke is that uh, business and actual public duty is always getting in Mackie's way. And it, it, at the end, it's like, okay, get rid of business. I'll get rid of my public responsibilities and go with you. That includes my house, my slaves, my wife, my wife, everything. <laughs> <laughs> And I th thing is, I think Shakespeare kind of made the right call um, in that he made because because you know he he's he's a traditionalist he's a he's a he's a red state boy <laughs> in that he wants to keep things traditional to be nice and wholesome probably that's why they got married um, aren't there like three sets of twins in in comedy of errors, that's a that's in too comedy many. Of, in co comedy of errors, there is the um, so yes, there, there's two sets of twins. There is the uh, you know the Mackie and Messi, but also their slaves are also uh, so in the in Paniculus and Messenio are called Dromeo, two Dromeos, because it's not enough that one boy is given the name of his long lost brother. The slave also is given the name of his long lost brother. I hate that so much. I'm just glad the sisters aren't twins as well, or else I'll be just shooting myself in the eye. But anyway, um, I just, I also, I was just about to say he, I think Shakespeare, our dear old William, made the choice to have the boys married, mostly to avoid uh, sequel bait. Because um, on the note for Give Me the Gold, when um, Messi tries to like fraud erotium's um, maid it says he asks for the gold with the intention of stealing it for in spite of their wealth it is evident from this and what appears in the sequel that both he and his brother are by nature arrant thieves there's a sequel does it state what the sequel is i don't know it, it does not it does there is no hyperlink on on the word sequel but I, it, it just seems to be that there is, in fact, a sequel, which, which, so, so that, I guess the whole, like, like, Missy and Mackie doing fucking shenanigans is the sequel. What? Because I was like, because he asks for gold for the intention of stealing it. I'm like, that's obvious. 
Like, why does that require a note? And then, for in spite of their wealth, it is evident from this and what appears in the sequel. And I just felt like I was slapped in the soul. There is a sequel. I am going through his list of surviving plays, just trying to find something that has any relation to, uh, let me... He has a lot of plays that still survive, so that's quite good for a person from 2,000 years ago. Yeah, that is true. I remember I... someone was saying that for some, we have, like, for Plato, miraculously, every single dialogue that Plato wrote survives. So much of his work survives that we actually have too many of his works. We're pretty certain that some of his works are fake. What? It's like we we have every single one of his works, but then some people say, oh, this one doesn't really seem like his work. It seems like this is a later edition. So, yes, we have every all of, of Plato's dialogues and then some others. Huh. Uh, I think maybe I found the sequel. Uh, it's a fragmentary play called Leones Gemini, which means the twin pimps. Oh. Which um, in the table I am looking at is right opposite. Bis compressa, which means the twice raped woman. Are we glad no. that's a fragment? No. Oh, you're, so no, no, you're, you're, not, you're not glad that's a fragment. You want it to be full. No. I did not wish it to exist. Forbidden I mean, knowledge. I, I do imagine that you could release something called The Twice Rate Woman Today as like a Netflix special, and then the comedian will be on Twitter afterwards saying, oh, you don't like it? You don't like it? Oh, I named it that. You should have known what you were getting into. <laughs> I may have dated this podcast by suggesting that Twitter still exists. <laughs> we are... We are in interesting times with Twitter, aren't we? Oh, yeah. oh, there's one called Citelitergus, which means the toilet cleaner. He had Cute. range. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> and one called Foenaretrix, which means the lady moneylender. So I suppose maybe that's a bit. Um, for the time, that's a zany concept. A woman lending money. Who'd have thought it? They'll be voting next. <laughs> but that was Plautus, the Brothers Menechmus. Now, as is usually the case, we go around, we go around the panel and ask, what is one thing you didn't like about this play? I imagine there's going to be quite a lot. <laughs> oh, God. Ugh, what did I not like about this play? I mean... I won't go so far as say I don't like its existence because clearly it's enriched a lot of people and like 
I've actually really enjoyed comparing and contrasting this and your translation. So like having this funhouse mirror perspective on this play that we haven't even like seen the original of because I we can't fucking read it, or at least I I I fucking can't. I don't know about you and your Latin knowledge. Um I get I tried to learn Latin. And then two months into learning it, I thought to myself, if I'm going to put in all this effort, it should be something I can put on a CV. Fair. Fair. Absolutely fair. But yeah, so like, I, so yeah, because of that, I can't really say I dislike the very existence of this play because it is actually quite funny um, when when you can actually see the comedy through the well down stake dryness of this piece um but what did i not okay what did i like dislike the most i disliked messy messy mm. is a piece of shit he he is certainly a kind of 1960s lovable rogue not so lovable if you are the kind of person who gets fucked over by him or gets fucked under false pretenses by him messy is a piece of shit messy is a messy bitch i hate him and the thing that i didn't like about this it is just i try not to go on about plot holes i don't think i generally but it's one of those plot holes where you just think surely you just need to like one copy editor could say, how about we change this line here and then that's fine. The plot hole is that he is looking, he knows he has a twin brother. He is looking for his twin brother. It never occurs to him that the reason for all this confusion is because maybe his twin brother is here. That is, I, that is the thing I don't dislike about this. That, that, that is glaring, glaring. And one thing that you liked about this play I did like Mackie's wife. She's cute. I liked her. It is, uh, yes. Uh, so I suppose the values of the time have entirely changed where the the lovable rogue gets the hatred and the shrewish wife gets the, uh, <laughs> gets the sympathy. No, I think uh, absolutely Mackie deserved every single piece of verbal grief that his wife gave him because he is also a piece of shit but yes uh her snarkiness was great and for me and this is something that only i can say because of my translation is that i like the language in this it's actually quite good language like for instance there's this one line where it's like Mackie says, all right, smell up here. You're such a fussy one. And Panicula says, all right, I sniff. And Manakema says, well, what do you smell? Well, and Panicula says, grabbing, grabbing, rubber-dub-dubbing. Mm -hmm. I hope I'm right. So that kind of language. Jesus Christ. In my version, you know, <laughs> the, the writer po points out that there, are, there have been many attempts to translate this in an effective way. So the original Latin is, Fertum scortum prandium. So that is the original Latin. And one version of it was uh, by Harry Levin, pinching, wenching, lunching. Another one is purloin, sirloin, herloin. All of them are bad. 
It is. Fuck, but- it's so bad. I hate it. <laughs> it's so bad. Oh my god. <laughs> you have to give yourself up to the puns. Yep. But so yes, that's what I like. And what was something that you dear have you said what you liked? I have said I liked um uh Mackie's wife. Yes. <laughs> she's the only human being in this fucking play. Well, okay, and, and okay, and I will add the um Mackie and Doctor exchange. Because that was that's like it's kind of weird to say classically funny. But it's classically funny to have one person lose their fucking mind because they are literally the only person, only sane person in the room. On the note of liking Mackie's wife for being the only person with some depth, you'll certainly like Shakespeare's version of her because she does respond to Mackie's treatment of her as with the level of pathos you would expect from a woman who has been wronged by her husband. Oof, I'm looking forward to it. Yes. So on that note, so going forward, I think that we will alternate with Shakespeare and things that aren't Shakespeare on a more case by case basis. Like this time was very good because Plautus, this is literally the thing that Comedy of Errors is based on. So that's good. Uh, I think that after Comedy of Errors, you know, the, th- the Shakespeare thing we're doing after Comedy of Errors is Titus Andronicus. You looking forward to that, Sophie? Oh, no. But I no. think... It's time to do Shakespeare's other Latin grandpappy, Seneca. Seneca, a man whose gory, bloody plays were just considered to be too much by most people, but the Renaissance loved him. Uh, so Titus Andronicus is very much of that, oh, if you can make it bloody, make it bloodier, that sort of thing. So we're going to do something by Seneca after Comedy of Errors. Okay. Okay, cool. That's that's fine. As as long as Titus Andronicus is delayed just by one more f- month, just because, yeah. yeah, I'm not looking forward to that at all. Yes, yes. But see you next time and read Comedy of Errors. This has been Shakespeare and Pals. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Shakespeare and Pals. A list of references to the work cited in today's episode can be found in the episode description. The opening, interstitial, and closing music of this podcast is a public domain recording of Henry Purcell's The Fairy Queen, sourced from newsopen.org. Thank you for listening.